0: You're listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers.
1: You can find more information about the house and our events on our website. Good evening, everyone. And welcome to tonight's event, dedicated to two of the foremost Argentinian writers of today, Mariana Enriquez and Samantha Schweblin. My name is Osei Lapagulan and I work with a program here at the House of Literature. We've called tonight's event Something Rotten in Argentina, because both Enriquez and Schweblin write literature which deals with social and political issues, environmental problems, social inequality, domestic violence, the history and the legacy of the dictatorship. And they do so by turning away from strict realism, and not to the magical realism of the Latin American writers of earlier generations, but by using elements of horror, dystopian, and gothic literature. They are both masters of creating dark, visceral, and deeply unsettling atmospheres in their stories, even from the seemingly everyday and mundane. Mariana Enriquez has been dubbed the master of the macabre, Her short story collection, Things We Lost in the Fire, has been translated into numerous languages, including Norwegian. And the collection, The Dangers of Smoking in Bed, was shortlisted for the prestigious International Booker Prize. And her latest novel, Nuestra Parte del Noche, Our Part of the Night, is set towards the end of the military dictatorship and will be published in Norwegian in the following year. And Samantha Sveblin may be best known for her novel, Fever Dream, which has also been translated into numerous languages, including Norwegian, and was recently adapted into a movie. Her latest publication in Norwegian is the short story collection Seven Empty Houses, in which she explores the human psyche in dark and surrealist ways. And to lead the conversation tonight, we have writer and cultural editor of Brother, Anne Forssäthås. But before they start, I'll just say a few words on how tonight will unfold, because although Enriquez and Schweblin are um, writers that are in many ways similar, they're also very distinct in their style, so we wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to get to know them each individually as well. So first you will meet Samantha Schweblin for a short conversation, and then we will have a short break, around 10 minutes, for you to take in what you just heard, maybe get a glass of wine in the, in the cafe, and then you will meet Mariana Enriquez in conversation before Schweblin will join her and Anne on stage for the last part of the evening. So, first, please welcome Samantha Schweblin and Anne Faschetos.
0: Thank you, Rosin, for the introduction. Let's start with you, Samantha. Okay. <laughs> I want to start from, from the very beginning. As I understand it, you started writing
2: from a very early age. Hmm. Yes. uh, So uh, first, hello and uh, thanks for having me here. (laughs) Oh, I have been practicing the whole week. Wait. Yeah, (laughs) Agla for Ovarahar.
1: We did it. Very good.
2: Somebody does a research, yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, I, I started to write uh, around my 12th after a big crisis that I went through. Um, because uh, well, this is something very uh, personal and curious. But uh, I, I had, at some point I had the feeling that uh, languages was not working with me. Uh, I mean, uh, I was twelve, and I was uh, f- whenever I have a fight or I wanted to explain something, uh, language uh, was very tricky, and uh, I couldn't really. I, I was so um, uh, aware of the difference that I got between what I was thinking, what I wanted to say, and when I got it, when I say it, and I hate this noise. And I really went through a crisis and I stopped talking for a year. Wow. <laughs> and it was very hard, most for my family, the school. <laughs> yes, it was very... Um, I remember my uh, uh, the, the head teacher of the school said to my mom that uh, if I wouldn't go uh, to a psychoanalyst the whole um, summer... I wouldn't be allowed to go to the next year. Um, This sounds like a story. It sounds like something (laughs) that the character in a story would would do. Yeah, it was um, hard. And of course, during that that year, uh, I started to read a lot and I started to write. And uh, it was like a magic thing to write because uh, when I was writing... I could control language. But the feeling was absolutely the contrary, you know. Uh, Clarice Lispector has a saying that I love it. And I really, this was what I was feeling. That She said that when I write, uh, um, I have an absolutely domain on the world. And this was the feeling. If If between the third word and the fourth word, uh, it could take maybe one week for me to really find what I wanted to say. The reader wouldn't, been, wouldn't know this when he's reading. And, and that was a, a kind of, uh, I could feel like some control. Some control what there I was over doing. language. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, yes, and that's a that control was that how you I started feel to write. A control you
0: in the oral communication. Sorry?
2: A, a, a control that you didn't feel you had Exactly. Yes. 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 uh, At least it was closer. The one that I get, (laughs) and the thing that I was thinking.
0: Yes. Yeah. And did this the psychoanalyst help you start
2: talking again? Obviously, <laughs> yes. you're talking now. So well, uh, I have it, to say, you, maybe <laughs> it sounds super weird, but psychoanalysis is something that we we all Argentinian people do at some point. Really, <laughs> <laughs> we can ask, you can ask also later to Mariana. Yeah. Yes, we we all have been there or not? Yes, it's something yes. very common. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, most mostly when you are uh, younger. Or, and, but yes, she she wrote a letter to to the head director, saying to the head teacher of the school, saying, this girl is completely normal, but uh, she's not. Uh, she doesn't have any kind of interest uh, for what she's having around. No, and I loved her because of that, because uh, at at some point she was saying the the problem is that the school is too boring. (laughs) So, yes.
0: So she reassured you that this was not you was the
2: problem? (laughs)
0: Yes. And uh, you started reading quite fiercely at this time. What kind of literature was it that influenced you? And that you, I guess when you're 12, you're sort of mimicking a little bit literature that you read?
2: Yes. Yes. well, the first books at that age, uh, there were some authors, for example, of course, all of them were short story writers, uh, Kafka, Bray Bri- Bri- Bradbury, uh, Cortázar, um, and I'm sure that the things that I was writing was a kind of mix in between of my admiration of these three authors. And then uh, later, when I started to attend to literary workshops at around my 16, 17s, I started to I fall in love with uh, uh, North American literature. Uh, It's typically this. Mensa, like, I don't know, Carver, <laughs> Salinger uh, And I remember my friends were, uh, they are also very good readers. They were a little bit like, um, I don't know if annoyed, but maybe just preoccupied about my readings. Because uh, they said, but you love to write um you know stories about the uncanny, the fantastic thing, and the monster, the horror. Uh, but you keep reading these guys about reality. Why are you reading these uh, guys that talk about alcoholism and uh, divorced people? And, yeah. and for me, it was uh, it has so much sense because um, I I was so aware and so I admire them so much about how well they built. The realism they can build, they they can make you feel that this that is happening is real and it's happening to you. It's happening in your house, and I love so much that realism, and I I thought. Uh, to break the realism is very easy, but maybe not very easy, but it's the thing that I know how to do and it's the thing that I like to do. Mm. The big thing here is to build the real the thing that you want to break. Mm. No? And I th- I thought uh, that uh, they were it was it would be them who could uh, help me it to, help to learn this. Because you knew how to find the point of smashing this reality Exactly. Or this exactly. point of turning it upside down.
0: And uh I want to talk about uh, a novel that you put that will talk about uh, your short stories as mm-hmm. well, but especially on this, uh, the building of a realistic world. Uh, this novel Kentucky, it was uh, published in Norwegian last year, I think. Um, and it's a novel that uh, some people call it a sci-fi novel, but it's a novel about... Uh, an object being created. Mm. It's uh, a Kentucky is uh, sort of a pet that you buy, but it's a technological pet, and it has uh, a camera inside it that sees everything that you do. And inside that camera is another person who has bought a code mm. to be an observer of your life. So this this gadget uh, becomes very popular and uh, peop- and connects people around the world uh and you cannot choose who mm-hmm. you are connected to but it's uh connects you to someone a completely different uh, place and this novel takes place all over Globe yes. uh, and it's yes. very realistic mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in the way we live our lives. Yes. Is this like science fiction
2: or future literature or is it realism to you? <laughs> For <me> it's absolutely a <laughs> realist uh, thing. Um, I was, uh, in fact, you know, uh, you started saying that some people consider it a science fiction novel and. I keep wondering why. Uh, (laughs) But no, really, I think there is a very interesting uh, noise there. You know, we we keep uh, living this life uh, over technology side. We don't have any problem with this. But the moment that we put this in the novel, then We prefer to put these kind of novels in the shelf of the science fiction, of the utopic thing. Uh, There's nothing happening in this book that is not happening in real life. I'm not talking about uh, any kind of technology there. Um, But... um, I don't know if that happens to you as, read, as a readers but uh, for me it happens many it, it usually happens that I'm reading something and I I can feel the effort that the author is doing to not saying he got a WhatsApp message or he took an Uber or he had a Zoom uh, uh, conversation it's, it's, we are still trying to do this effort of not uh, put the technological things inside a uh, fiction I don't know why or on the contrary, you read a poem about um, WhatsApp and it's called a tech poem. Yeah. Why Why is it, it is a touch poem? This is not a touch poem. It's a super contemporary touch poem. So I, I was, before um, finding out the device that's uh, um, for Kent, the Kentuckys uh, novel, I was thinking, how can I talk about Not technology, but what happens uh, in between us, through technology, uh, taking out, completely out, the, the thing of technology out of the novel. Uh, how can I do that? Uh, that was a big question. And then the, the idea of the Kentuckys came up, and I said, this is uh, perfect, because uh, I think it represents everything. It's, uh, it's social media, I Zoom, it's WhatsApp, is our phones, but at the same time, it's nothing. It it's is, not n- artificial it's, intelligence yes, or anything exactly like this. It's, no, it's just, it's just the, like your phone. It's just the other yeah? watching at you doing your dishes in the morning at the kitchen, and mm. what would you do with that? Yes. Mm. Uh, And in this novel there are keepers,
0: the people who want to have the pet uh, and be watched. And Mm. then there are dwellers, Mm -hmm. the the ones that uh, want to look at other people. Um, Which is the better, to be the watcher
2: or the keeper (laughs) in this novel? (laughs) This novel... uh, Well, at the beginning... I would say, I mean, when I started to write these stories, um, because you have many, uh, there are five main connections, no? And uh, I thought, of course, the dweller, no? Because uh, as a as an writer, uh, we like to observe, and this, I think, who who, who not like to see someone else uh, in real life, uh, someone who doesn't know that it has been. Seen. It's like uh, something. Observe. Yeah, I think deep down we think that uh, if we can watch the others without the others knowing that they are being seen, then there we could find a kind of truth uh, that could also maybe explain uh, our own behaviors. I don't know. There's something, they're very attractive. And of course, this is part of the book. And at the beginning, I thought this is what I want to be the dweller, no? But I have to confess that uh, uh, (laughs) when I started to write uh, the stories of the owners, um, I found out that that side is very uh, attractive also. Mm -hmm. And there's something, um, for example, a lot of uh, moral questions came up, no? Uh, because of course, this, this device, uh, if you are a dweller, uh, then you you keep the whole day maybe following the foot uh, the feet of uh, your owner around the kitchen or the bed. at some point you would say oh I need to charge my battery so you have to move the thing up to the bedroom where you know, the, your owner probably left you your charger and get you charged um, so you have a kind of life in this other house in another city around the world. Um, but what happened if the other, uh, for example, manage, close the door and you don't have any more access to the battery? If you lost the connection, you can't connect to this house anymore ever. And maybe you have been living a month there and you start to get desperate. These kind of things, I, I realize how perverse I could be. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and really moral question that uh, have a lot of links with what is happening with uh, social media, I don't know. If this is a device, just a device, but if this, there is a human being inside and I... I um, Hit the device. Am um, I hitting a human being? Uh, mm. and, and my main preoccupation there was I was I was. Um, this, I think there's a main character, Alina, and I tried my best to make the, the reader feel very close to this uh, character. And, to try to... So Alina tech is, are taking all the time um, decisions about what she's doing. with his, She's an owner, she has one of these devices, and I think most of us would, would, would say, we would say, yes, I would have taken the same decision, I would have made the same, uh, this is a good thing, and at the end, uh, Alina realized how much, dami- dami- how much uh, damage she was doing. Mm. And, uh, and I wanted to show also how easy it is to to make damage in mm. in this uh, social media and um, WhatsApp and Zoom and all these things. It's, it's so delicate because we still don't know the rules. We don't know the legal rules. We don't know the moral rules. We don't know where the limits of the other start. It's something that is very naturalized, but we don't know about this so much. Mm. So I was playing with all these things and. The the owner side always uh, turn on my, my perverse side in a more <laughs> effective way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the the dwellers they also have a lot of power since they know the secrets of other people. Yes, of course. Uh, if you think uh, one of the things that the, this device have is that at the beginning the language in between the dweller and the owner are not is not possible. Mm, they don't have a language connection. Exactly. They are completely it's shut off from each other. Exactly. It's like a pet. You have a pet. You don't know who is inside your pet. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. really. And, uh, but, uh, and you live months with this pet. Uh, there, I'm sure there are a lot of cat owners and dogs owners here. <laughs> and they, you, if you are alone, you go to the bathroom and you don't close the door. <laughs> you don't... Uh, and maybe you complain about something in front of him or... I don't know of, what happened what would happen if suddenly uh you would show for example in the novel your mobile phone to your dog and your dog uh, that, uh, the, the, woman, the, the woman who is living there call you no <laughs> and say i saw you taking money from your husband wallet <laughs> <laughs> or i don't agree with what you are thinking about this or that problem no uh, so um what happened when, when, in a relationship that is already established, suddenly language appeared? And how, how disturbing this could be? Mm. It's quite interesting, because... Here, you can email anyone all over
0: the planet or have uh, an exchange with someone all over the planet, yet people here want to buy something where they can actually not speak directly to each other and some device ways to like, find out secret Morse languages and Morse codes and bypass yes. these things just to have a conversation with someone that they could have had
2: on, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, um, on another communication platform. Yes. And many times we prefer that than the real communication. Yes, mm. sad and frightening.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the stories. This this novel takes place all over the globe, uh, and some of the stories are very rough and complicated mm. uh, regarding human trafficking, uh, because all aspects of life can be seen through the lens of these Kentuckies. Um, but there's another story that takes place uh, in the north of Norway, <laughs> strangely <laughs> in uh, the town of Honningsvåg.
1: <laughs> Thanks uh... <laughs> for pronouncing <laughs> it. Uh,
0: how did you choose the locations where these uh, kin would be placed in your novel?
2: Oh, well, at the beginning I was playing with location that I already knew. So, for example, one of the characters uh, is in um, in Oaxaca. That is uh, a city in Mexico, in and I was living there for three months, or I don't know uh, Shanghai or some cities in Italy, places where I have been living, or or maybe just for a couple of days. For but mostly I have places where I have been living for literary reasons. But of course uh, there was a point that I, if I really wanted to give this idea of something global, I would need something more uh, that to to, to to go around the, the globe. No? The first big question was uh, how I am going to talk about the other half of this humanity that is this disconnected. Mm. Then uh, Sierra Leona appears in this story, and, and I try to do something with that. And then uh, at some point, I did a, a draw with a map and point all the cities that I was talking about and. Um, I realized that I didn't have anything in the north.
1: <laughs> so, and I
2: chose this uh, city and. Did there. you just like pin it on the map? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. There are many cities that I haven't been there at all. And I, I did the exercise, of course, of. Walking around, walking around in Google Earth, and doing a lot of the research and everything. But also, I try to talk with people who are living there. And um, about this this city in Norway, I wrote to a man uh, who has a shop. So this city has only one main street, and in this main street, there's only one shop that uh, sells. Uh, vacuum cleaners. This is very important <laughs> for the story. So I wrote the o- to the owner to this uh, vacuum. And it was a 60-year-old uh, man, and I wrote to him out of nowhere and <laughs> said, I'm an Argentine writer uh, writing about a device that is called Kentucky. And I explained to him what the Kentucky was about and how <laughs> he has three wheels at the bottom and uh, all these problems. And said... In the corner of your block where you have your workshops, your, uh, your shops, um, I need the Kentucky to go from the street to the uh, paviment um, by himself. Mm. Is this possible? <laughs> 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 and it was like two weeks. If he never answered, of course, I wouldn't have he answered <laughs> that. <laughs> he must have been quite surprised. Uh... And, and then uh, from one day to the other, suddenly he wrote to me and said, I'm going to check. <laughs> <laughs> what? And then the day after, he said, Yes, yes. it is possible. A device with three wheels could <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> take then, this one. I, I learned that <laughs> uh, Norwegian people from the north are very helpful, but with very short words. No? <laughs> <laughs> that could be Norwegians in general, I think.
0: Uh. <laughs> uh so short words and also short stories of course mm. you started out with stories and uh, this story collection seven empty houses is out now in uh, norwegian um what's the concept between be, behind the empty houses because this mm. is like a very all the short stories are very different but houses seem to be extremely central to all of them
2: well uh you know as um Sometimes it's hard to, to build a short story collection because uh, for me, every story is about it's, itself and it should be capable to stand alone. And, uh, but when you have an amount of story, you start to realize that there are some connections in between them. And I think uh, in Seven Empty Houses, the seven characters uh, of these uh, short stories are going through very different crises. And they have to go out of these houses to, to find the solution. With go out, I don't mean that going to a trip. It's just the stories happen uh, in the gardens, in the halls, in the house of the neighbor. There's something about, uh, I don't know, we are, we are changing all the time. Our bodies, our clothes, the people with which, with which uh, we are talking, but we keep living in these very rigid uh, houses, you know. Uh, I'm always surprised how we can get up in the middle of the night and without turning on any light, we go to the bathroom, we drink water, we came back without as if we were blind because, I don't know, the dimensions of the houses where we live, they are so rigid and uh, so... and. Um, they are These characters, they are fighting in, at some point with some very dubious ideas that we have. So, for example, what is normal? What well, is normality, I mean? Or the sense of sanity. You know, these things that you said, like, I don't know, is this real? Maybe this, these are the more fiction um, um, ideas that we have. and. Uh, and I have the feeling that if you go out of the house, there's a part of these uh, structures that uh, you are free. I don't know. It's like... Uh, so we, and there are also... Um, uh, there's something happened with clothes here. I don't know what is happening. Yes, I there's, can't, I there's so ma- much Probably nudity. my psychoanalyst can not say anything, <laughs> yes. but uh, something is happening yeah. with the clothes Close of the here. people here. Yes. <laughs> it's everywhere, and the boxes and movement to be... M- well, I wrote... This was... Maybe my first book that the first book that I wrote after moving from Buenos Aires to Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving some boxes full of clothes uh, and all this feeling of being on a place but not completely belong to there and just I think some presence there. Mm-hmm. When I think about these characters and they
0: they do have some eccentric ideas or ideas that would be seen as eccentric by many. Is is the house like the facade of the normalcy? And then ah. they have this uh, sort of ideas on how to change it up. One woman has a very particular thing that she does. She goes to other people's houses, Mm. and she goes into their houses, and she says, this is not very well decorated. This is not like completely feng shui. I would put the vase here, and then Mm. redecorate this Mm. uh, room. It's not pretty like this, Mm. and she does this all the time. Uh, And her daughter tries to stop her, but then one of the women comes back into her house, uh, <laughs> trying to do the same. This is a very eccentric idea, isn't it? Is it <laughs> is, or is it uh, yeah. not? I,
2: I mean, I, for example, the idea of that short story came from my childhood, so uh, when I was around 10, between my 10 and my 12, we used to spend uh, holidays with my family in Uruguay. We, we Argentinians go to Uruguay for the beaches. We love the Uruguayan beaches. And apparently, this was a very expensive kind of trip for my family. So my, my mom was very focused about take the most of the beach. We have to go to the beach every day, like 10 hours, to, because <laughs> it costs a lot of money. And uh, when it was raining... Uh, then we took the, we used to take the car and go around to the neighborhood, and the houses were so much beautiful than the house that we had, and the neighborhood was more expensive. It was, and we just so the exercise on, of the raining days was just go around with the car, my dad driving, my mom, me and my sister, my younger sister, just looking at the houses of the others. For me, that's normal. That's what you do when it's raining. <laughs> and my mom used to tell to my dad, Pablo, Pablo, para, para. Mira lo que es se window. It's like, look at that window. It's so beautiful. And they have this conversation about the houses of the other. And I remember my sister that was younger, but clever than me. Uh, at some point, she looked at me and said... Uh, do you understand that this this is very weird? No? <laughs> but, but for me, it was super normal, and um, and that's the beginning of the story. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that the daughter in this story she's very critical of her mother at first,
0: mm. but actually, when another woman tries to emulate her and do the same thing in their
2: house, she's sort of a little bit proud of her mother's... But we all like that? We are yeah. against our mothers up to the moment that someone attacked our mothers. <laughs> <laughs> and then we are with them. <laughs> yes. Yes. And
0: um, before we go to Mariana... Enriquez, I also want to point out that you have a very small book out in the, Norwegian, the like a little, a little leaflet yes, of a book. I think it was printed two days two ago days or something ago. like that. Uh, and This is also about your family, but this is directly about your family. This is is not a
2: fiction. Who is uh, this man that we see on the front? This is my grandfather from my mom's side. And he was a very famous um, visual artist. He was a gravure. Uh, He makes gravures. And this text is about uh, when I... He was not so close to my family, uh, so I, I didn't know him. But about when I was six years old, he called my mom and said, uh, Samantha is um, a grown-up now. He has six. So uh, it's a moment to start to train her to become an artist. Wow. Yes. Uh, so every two weeks, uh, he started to pick me up. Uh, and we went to the... Well, we have different kind of train, trainer trainings. So he trained me to to do whatever he thought it was a useful thing. If you are an artist, so mm-hmm. for example, to travel without paying the tickets, <laughs> uh, to um, steal things from the book, <laughs> from the fairs and uh, from the bookshops, to sell what you have still. <laughs> and then to put that money in the horses races to get more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, with that money, we went to the museums, the cinema, the theater. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yes. And I started to... Um, to. I said that I started to write at 12. I started to write my short story then. But if I have to be fair, I, I think I started to write with him because at the end of the day, we have to, to write down what... Was the best thing and the worst thing uh, that we saw or what we f- feel or think or thought during that day, mm. and there were some rules. So, for example, you couldn't say, uh, "I s- I went to the museum and I saw a very nice uh, picture uh, drawing." No, no. why? But the, you have to be very specific. You had you need to understand exactly how to say it and. Sometimes I didn't have the words, and and he said, okay, when you don't have the words, then we have Alfonsina Storni. That mm. was uh, one of our greatest poet, uh, poets uh, by then. So we read uh, Alfonsina Storni aloud, and we choose some words from her to describe what it wouldn't be possible to do it in another way. So he was also my first um, teacher uh, about... Uh, poetry, and he gave me my first books of Cortázar, Borges, Adolfo Bioy Casares. Yes, he was a very important uh, master for me. Mm.
0: He wanted you to be a painter or a visual artist, (laughs) (laughs) but you became a writer. Has any of these lessons in stealing or uh, not paying for a ticket been
2: useful? In uh, your writing, well, uh, yes, <laughs> I don't want to be uh, yes, um, but it was very uh, useful. We'll keep that a secret. Uh, what that was, um,
0: we'll get back to you, Samantha and yes, uh, Mariana and Rikus later. Oh, we've changed it up. Um as I saw, so you said in the program there's a headline about something being rotten in Argentina. I haven't really talked too much about that so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure that something is rotten in Argentina right now. But and I don't really think that it's fair to like. Ask writers just because they're from a country to yeah. specify like how how important is the political history of this country to you. But in your case Mariana Enriquez, I think that growing up during the dictatorship uh, has had some impact on, it, on it how has. you think and it how has. you write.
3: First, I want to say hello to everybody. I'm mean, really enjoying the city, especially all the dark stuff. <laughs> and, um, What's the dark stuff? What's the da- darkest stuff in the city? Monks, is dark, Vigilant Park. I, don't, I, I know you don't notice because you pass every day, but all these babies on yeah. top of the other, <laughs> it's uh, absolutely creepy. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I went to the other uh, friend, the the friend no, they had the brother to the Vigilant Mosoleum. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's very dark. That's very dark. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And then I went to the black metal shop and um have this is my favorite city in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you went to the cemetery, where of, course. <laughs> of, course.
3: of course.
0: Which you of course. do when you travel around.
3: I, d- I do when I travel around. But yes, <laughs> the dictatorship then. Um Especially in literary terms, um, it's important for me why, because I think that um, it's one—not not just one—not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why I chose uh, horror as my language, because I grew up in kind of horror, and uh, my parents were not involved in anything political, but they knew what was going on, so the. You know, the the house was a house where my parents are also... Anyway, that's another chapter. <laughs> but they are not very... Uh, they don't really take care of what they say in front of children. And I'm an only child. So they were all the time talking about this person has been taken, this person has disappeared. There's a concentration camp here, blah, blah, blah. And... Um, and then they would say to me, but you don't say anything and you don't say anything at school because mm. we have friends that are involved in this and they can be killed. And I was like, okay.
0: Mm. And so you that, to keep secrets about very violent Very violent things, things since, yeah.
3: uh, si- since a very young age. Mm. And I think that um, also, for example, for a birthday you had to take a, 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 a permit in the, with the police and things like that. So it really impregnated your life, the horror. So I think, in, in, in part, it's not the only reason, but in part, I decided when I started to write horror that that feeling of horror impregnating your house, your inner life, your private life, your decisions, everything that was going on was something that in literary fiction was very powerful. And, uh, of course, I turned the volume up, and it's kind of, you know goes to sometimes goes to supernatural to very very morbid or or whatever, but um, also the dictatorship doesn't end when it ends. This is something that you know, especially in 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 places that didn't have a process like that, a process of repression and authoritarian government like that, don't really realize that it's not like they are gone, the military is gone, and we are free, woo, and it's over. No. Then you have to learn about what happened. Then you have to live with the new information that it's every time more horrible. Then it's the discussions of, you know, that thing had to be done. Then it's the children that they kidnapped and things, for me, that were very related to horror started to appear even in language. Like, for example, disappeared... The bodies in Argentina were not... Uh, the people were not just killed and buried. They were killed and the bodies disappeared. They threw it in the river or whatever. And... Um, or in mass graves. And nobody knows what happened to... Some no, no. People. Some some appear because there's people that are investigating but most, most of them uh, haven't appeared and won't because we don't know where they are. And uh, the... Opposite word of uh, disappeared is appeared, which in Spanish can be aparecido. That means ghost. So it was also in the language, the thing was there. And um, something that appears is an
0: apparition. It's an Uh, apparition, exactly.
3: And then the fantasmagoric thing of, for example, people marching human rights, uh, people marching with the faces of the disappeared that now are much younger than me. When I started marching, they were my age, 20. And now I'm almost 50 and they're still 20, like mm. a ghost. Mm.
0: Um, so things keep coming up from the
3: past see, like ghosts. Yes, exactly. And uh, and then there's the children of, of the disappeared that for me, they opened a door for writers of our generation, of me and Samantha's generation. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about Allowing certain kind of um, language to talk about these things, you have uh, uh, many writers that do it—you know—talk about the the dictatorship in realistic ways. Another do it with humor. Another do it with absurd kind of things. Like uh, there's a writer called Felix Brussone that has does kind of crazy stuff about you know the dictatorship. He, both his parents are are disappeared. Um, cinema, poetry, and they're telling their story and owning their story without, you know, the discourse, even their critics of, of some of the actions of the parents, and without the discourse that was the kind of the official thing to do. So that kind of allowed me. I think it opened the door for me not only to use a genre that is not that common in, in Latin America, but also to talk about these things with these elements. With this uh, and with these uh, tools that could be, because horror has a lot of entertainment and should be entertaining and should have adrenaline and should scare you, basically. So it could be disrespectful.
1: Mm. And I
3: thought for the longest time that it's going to be disrespectful. I remember my first story... That you this make
0: entertainment out of something that's very serious.
3: It was yeah. very on my mind. And I yeah. remember the first story... It's not in this book, it's in the other one that you mentioned that was in the Booker Prize. And uh, there were girls that were playing the Ouija board and they were asking where the bodies of the disappear were so they could tell this on TV and, and make themselves famous. This was, abs- was in between, you know, morbid and fun and scary. And finally, it's a ghost story because something happens that is absolutely terrifying. And I was... <laughs> I say about my story, is absolutely <laughs> terrifying. But anyway... <laughs> They are quite terrifying, <laughs> yeah anyway. it's scary, but anyway, uh I thought, "Oh my God, should I publish this like so uh, you know, I work in a left wing paper, what are they going to say, and the people you know in the organizations and then I learned two things: first, nobody said anything, so that door was open, and you could own history your way, and it was my history. It was not just the history of the people that went through terrible things, but the history of everybody and two. People don't read that much literature, so nobody really knows <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it's there. Mm. And uh, nobody said anything. And when they said it was okay, it was. B- but because that door was open, I think it was open by this younger generation that uh, they don't do solemn anymore. Mm.
0: So as you say, there aren't that many writers perhaps who... Are interested in the kind of political and social issues that you are yeah. that write in the horror genre. How did you like? How were you influenced by the horror genre, or how how did you start reading that? And how did well,
3: there were many entrances. Yeah, let's say you know the first entrances were the gothic, like Emily Bronte, and you know the the kind of. Uh, Really, you know, what you call gothic genre, these kind of things. So I like, you know, dark men, women, in, in, well, and all that kind of thing. And. Um, Were you like a dark goth teenager? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still am a yeah. dark goth <laughs> yeah, teenager. Should, yeah. You know? And uh, I'm old, but I feel 16. And, uh, and then there was. Um, of course, the movies. I mean, we're in the '80s. It was all the slasher thing, and you know, Freddy Krueger and The Exorcist, and all. I, I loved all that. Mm. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't write that, but I embrace that as you know, as um, as an experience that was important for me. And then Stephen King. Stephen King. I remember my uncle gave me cemetery that is a, an extraordinarily dark book when i was 11 mm-hmm. because uh, i don't know it was like the girl likes to read kind of thing mm. and uh it was a bestseller and he had a cat on the cover
0: <laughs> very cute story of <laughs> about course about cats? Yeah.
3: he didn't look at it properly because the cat is here yeah. but then down here is the man with a dead Child in the hands, and there's a tomb, but it's kind of dark. Mm. And I think he had like a, you know, the, the bestseller kind of whatever. And he gave it to me. And I remember it was Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other day after Christmas, everybody, all the, all the grown the ups were, you know, sleeping because they had been drunk. And I started to read the book. And I remember it was the first time in literature that I had the book and, and I threw the book away from me and said, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't keep re I'm, I'm scared. I'm going to wake them up and say, I, I don't like this, and, you know, we are, we are going to die. Yeah. I'm scared. It was the first time the literature, before it was like a movie can make you cry, or can make you scary, or, whatever, or scared, or whatever, or music makes you sad, or makes you, you know, want, want to dance. But i didn't have that with literature, and it was very was an impact for me mm. and Then there were also on those days the first testimonies about the, the dictatorship and uh what happened because many things started to appear when it ended we didn't know what was going on during it sometimes the you know the part after is scarier than the you are in less danger. But you, lear, you learn when, what danger you were in for real, and it gets kind of... You re-traumatize yourself, in a way. And um, so it was the, the, the many entrances. Mm. And about the dictatorship the other day, I remember... Let me make it short. I remember I was talking about with, about it with a friend of mine. He's from Chile. And, you know, Chile is living is li- a very particular process. At, l- at last, is leaving the dictatorship behind. And... Um, uh, that it ended a long time ago, but that this is what I mean it lasts, the effects last. And I was saying to Lina, Lina, aren't you tired of writing about this? And she was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I wish I had more rain, I, you know, more, it was wider. And uh, so sometimes we try and write about other things, and then it's like the it ghosts come back, and ghosts do that. Ghosts can't really leave. Even if you appeased them, you should have appeased them when they were alive. Mm -hmm. Justice is never done afterwards. Mm. It should have been before. Mm. So, yeah. Do you want to scare your readers? Ah, yes. 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 Why? (laughs) Because I think, um, first, because um, as a horror writer, if you don't, you fail. It's a tricky thing because not everybody is scared of the same things. So some people can find that this is not. But one of them, I, I think I have a range of. You know, I read a lot of horror, and I know, and uh, um, and people get very scared of very silly things sometimes too. Hmm. I, f- I find it very. I have a tolerance. <laughs> you have a high tolerance. Yeah. I have a high tolerance. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, sometimes I put things there, and people are like, "How can you be so cruel?" I'm saying it's not that bad, and. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yes, and also because I think people like it. I mean, some people don't like horror and they will never, never like it. Mm. But, um, for example, during the the first year of the pandemic, many people told me, were reading, not this one, but but the novel that is uh, coming out, and they were like... Uh, you were such. This book was uh, so much with me, and you helped me through. The book is awfully dark, <laughs> and I was. I, I thought nobody is going. I was so upset because I liked the novel, and I was so upset because I was thinking, well, nobody is going to read this. It's seven hundred pages that nobody are, is going to read because who's going to read this hell, and uh, in hell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people were very happy about <laughs> it. So it's very, it's very contradictory. It's like horror give, gives us, I think, a preparation for real fears. Mm. And uh, to be serious about it, I think for ages we've been telling each other ghost stories, horror stories, to prepare ourselves for the horrors of life. I don't think then when horror, when something horrible happens, we are not that well prepared. But I wonder how would it have been if we didn't have those stories, Mm. if we're just thrown in the world. Because if you think, I don't know, the fairy tales, two children go into the woods and there's the the, the witch that feeds them to eat them. (laughs) What is that? Mm. And they tell that to children that are four years old. And then they wonder why they can't sleep or whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we always have these horror stories, of course, what could happen to us, but... Sometimes these stories are also real. Like yeah. I can, I can remember from my own childhood hearing about these disappearances and kidnapping some children going on in Argentina or other places in Latin America, and actually sort of thinking that yes, these there, there must be some kind of monster or devil
3: that is, uh, doing, is doing all of this, this evil. Well, I, I play with that. Some of the, the, uh, the there is a story that is very Lovecraftian. In, in in a way and I, I use a river that is very polluted as the place where the Lovecraftian god kind of dwells and it's an homage to him but also to uh but it's also a true story. There was a, the police asked this is a true story from real life. Asked to the teenagers, dirty Boy in this uh
0: things I think in the fire. I think it's under
3: the black water or something like yeah. that. And um, I don't, I don't know the name of the translation in English even. I don't read anything that you know <laughs> in any other language. And um, but the police really asked these two boys. They were poor boys from you know from the favela from we call it Visha. and that they he asked them to swim in this river. It was like a form of torture. Mm. This is not, not during the dictatorship. This is a few years ago. Um, and uh, he died. In the book, he doesn't die. He becomes something else, some force or something. But I, when I, I remember when I read the story, I thought this policeman, because being Latin American, I understand that he tried to fake shooting him, that he hit him, that you know, that he called him names, that he tried to uh, make him scared and told tell, tell, told him that he was going to die. I mean. Many things, but to actually ask this from a teenager that was terrified at that point because he had shooting him between the legs and stuff like that. I w- when I read it, I said, "What kind of evil does is, is, is driving this man? Because this is not something. It was not a common, you know, institutional violence kind of thing to do. This is some. This is some some art around it. This is really." twisted. So that's why I chose that. I choose many real life things. That's why the stories are very realistic and they start very realistic. I think Samantha was saying that too and it's important to me to read very realistic authors too because I you have to it's all language. It doesn't matter if you are a good storyteller of, of the reality. You have to know how reality is done to break it. Mm. She breaks it in some ways, I break it in other ways. And I usually use real stuff that happened that people don't remember
2: Mm.
3: or that people forget. And when you put horror, when you put the genre on it, it's kind of alive again.
0: It's just stronger then. Yeah. Because there's stories here about children being taken and murdered and tortured in the worst possible way. And they're, they're very shocking when you read yeah. them.
3: Yeah, but they happened. And people yeah. forget about them. And people yeah. are like, how can I be so cruel to do that to the child and say, I didn't do anything to a child. Someone else did it. I just copied it. Yeah. You uh, just
0: copy it directly from what... <laughs> Some was, things uh, are copied
3: directly yeah. from, from, from the journalistic uh, account of, of the story. And it gives it a new light and it gives it a kind of... Uh, it gives it back what... There's truth in fiction. And the truth of horror fiction is it gives horror back to what the, that awful thing that happened. That is one of the you know twenty one tragedies that we see every day and uh to focus in in one it's um for me it's important too because uh, i i don't i don't morally take myself as i 'm better because i, I i'm not, i don't i'm not a I, I'm anest uh, uh, anesthes- anesthetized. Yeah, so anesthetized. That too, yes, too. Like yeah, everybody. Like
0: everyone, we see all this horror around us all the time. Like uh, like like everybody. We are numb to it.
3: Yeah, there's nothing better to me, but I, I I choose to to do that because I think it's very powerful liter in in a literary way and also because I'm talking to myself when I write, and one one of the things that bother me in general is indifference. Uh, That, of course, I I do, like everybody else, to live in in a society because otherwise it's impossible to empathize, it's not real. But I don't look for real, I look for truth that is different. Mm.
0: So is using horror, genre and trope a way to sort of denaturalize these things that we have become so numb to?
3: Yeah, I think so. For me, it's, it's, it's like that, and it's fun too. Yeah, (laughs) it is fun, too. It is fun, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of fun, you said that you couldn't believe that uh, people actually found this novel that you have written engaging, but uh, I've been allowed by your publisher who who will publish this in Norwegian uh, soon to read um, the translation, parts of the translation. And I can certainly say that it's like a real page turner.
3: (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. That's what I want to do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's totally a page turner, but also really scary. And this But this is a novel that takes you directly back to the days of the dictatorship. This is set in Argentina. In 1981, it
3: begins. The first part, yes. It wasn't a a year of a very violent year. It was just ending. But I wanted to use that it was very tense. Because everybody knew it was ending, but it was very tense. And the next year was the war in the South, in Falklands. We call it Malvinas. And... um, everything was, you know, like, uh, uh, things were going to explode. And um, so I chose that period that is not a period that is very talked about. And I chose a part of the country. It's a journey. It's very influenced by R- Cormac McCarthy, the role, to be honest. Mm. But it's not post-apocalyptic at all. It's because an, it's also
0: a man and a boy it's a, traveling it's a, together. It's a father
3: and a boy yeah. and... Uh, it's not that their world is ending, but the father is trying to save him from a destiny that he doesn't want the child, for you know, to, that is his destiny. And he's trying to save him. And um, in a way, the whole novel is a, is a question about can you, you know, choose your own history? Can you twist your own history? Can you be saved of the damnation of your parents, of your country, of your, you know... Of your region or or, or whatever, or, or or you can't, or is uh, something that is kind of uh, a destiny and uh, something that you can't shake off at all. And um, so, in the beginning, uh, they go to the north of Argentina to a part that is very interesting because it's uh, very jungle. It's the border between Brazil here and here Paraguay, and. Um, and In that place, that this is, uh, they go to a house where the older, that are the bad ones, live. This is very general. you know, the with the they don't really use the hood, but it's kind of that. And uh, and they uh, it's the family of this of this child, and the father wants to take him away from them, but it's difficult. And um, in this part, this part that now is kind of uh, it has uh, crime problems, but it's also very beautiful and used in Houston, tourists. It has you know, cascades of water. It's like it looks amazing. But in the '30s, a very, 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 very wealthy family built their house. This part of the country is um, quite wild, it's very isolated it's a mixture of cultures that is very particular you have you don't normally have there's um, immigration from lithuania from sweden from russia from it's very strange because it's you know the indigenous people that tend to be dark and, and and small and petite and pretty and then comes scar girl looking thing <laughs> that is also beautiful in a totally different way. And it's said, what's going on? And they talk to you with an accent of the area and it's like, whoa! <laughs> People are asking me, why did you choose uh, as a character uh, and a uh, child of Swe- Swedish immigrants? And I said, because there's many. It's not that I'm trying to... It's, it's not, you know... Um, uh, uh, the, it's a very particular part of of the um, bilingual and everything. But this family built this mansion there, by the river. And when I was little, never been there. I uh, because I didn't want to have an imp- you know a too vivid impression. I wanted to to the the, the novel is about memory, and I wanted to you also to do that process of remembering sensations more than going to places and doing an investigation. In the short stories, I do more of an investigation. But in this one, I didn't want to. They build a house there that is like a mansion. And when I was little, in my family that lives there, part of my family lives there, they were like, what are they hiding? Why are they coming to this place? Because this is impossible uh, to make it cold. This is, in, this is all when it rains and it rains all the time you can't leave the house why they chose this when they could choose any other we have all kinds of geography and it was a mystery that I always was thinking about what was in that house mm. and in this novel this house
0: or a house like it it houses a path into a secret order of a very diabolical nature
3: yeah they're mean, they're very mean. Very they're very mean. powerful and they're very mean and they, they have a medium that uh, makes appear this God that is formless, that is darkness only, and talks to them. They believe that it talks to them. Mm. They're very powerful and what they want, I can say to you because you know, it's, it's going to be months. <laughs> so what, what they want, the only thing they need, as uh, many rich people do, I mean, for real. Mm. The only thing that very, very, very rich people need is eternal life. All the rest is solved. Mm. <laughs> so uh, that's what they want, and that's what they think this God is going to give them. Mm. But it's not clear because I wanted to play with language and with, uh, in, you know, with the difficulties of uh, understanding a being that is not of this world. Mm.
0: And this god, it has the shape of a mouth. It's something that talks. It eats
3: you, but it doesn't have a shape of anything. It's just darkness. But when you touch it, when you touch it, let's see this this is is the darkness here. You put the hand and you lose it. Mm.
0: And since you have this like secret evil order and the novel takes place during the time of the dictatorship in Argentina, was it read as a political allegory of that time in Argentina?
3: In the book, yes. Yeah. But in general, I, I always think that if you read it, read it like in Europe in 1939, you will understand what the darkness is. Mm. If you read it in, um, I don't know, in, in 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 Congo when Leopold was the was the king there and was doing the things that he was doing, you understand what what it means by darkness. Mm. If you read it after, you know, in. 1969, after the crimes of Charles Manson, you understand what the darkness means.
2: Mm.
3: I chose that by the, because that, it's my history. And in that particular moment of time, they are associated with the dictatorship and the military. But if it was another time, there's a, even there's a history. There's a part that is the history of the order. And at one point, they are associated with the colonial power of the British. In the north of Africa, for example, Nigeria and stuff like that, when they start finding mediums and, and things. So, um, of course, it's an allegory, but it's not just of that. It's an, an allegory of uh, of when, when, when there's a synergy of the status quo and everybody is evil. Mm. You know, the government is evil, the powerful people, rich people are evil. And, you know, it makes like, there's moments in history when everything crashes. Mm. And this was a time when everything was crashing in my country. But, you know, things crashed everywhere, Mm. eventually, unfortunately. (laughs) And, you know...
0: And the Norwegians will be able to read this uh, quite soon. Uh, Now that we've learned a little bit about your writing and a little bit about Samantha, I would like to welcome Samantha Schweblin back on stage so we can uh, have a little discussion between ourselves. I want to start this part uh, of the conversation with learning a little bit about literary life in Argentina uh, mm. and uh, how you both became writers because I think you have like very different paths to, uh, to becoming writers. Yeah. Samantha what did, uh, mm. did you do like the ordinary what, what do writers normally do when they want to become writers there?
2: Is, this, is there a normal thing <laughs> yeah. to do for yeah. so yeah. becoming a writer? Yeah. I don't know if there is it's a way to inter- <laughs> <laughs> try to become but a writer yeah. in Argentina. But yes, I know that we we have done very different uh, paths. Um so uh yes, I uh, I started to attend to workshops around my 16th, 17th. Uh and of course I'm I'm saying this uh at at that time I thought uh, this is the normal thing uh, to go uh, to a yeah. workshop. Of uh but this is, you know, like when you are uh, young, uh, younger, and you suddenly realize that you thought that, that your family was normal, but it was, it is not. You know <laughs> is more this Because when I started to travel in, around Latin America, uh, because of literary reasons, and also to the rest of the world. I realized that this thing about workshops uh, is something that we have, but it doesn't exist in the rest no. of the world. No, it's I, completely
0: different. From I, I want to explain uh, it because that, uh, it's something yeah, very, very
2: special. So I would say, I don't know what you think, Mariana, but I would say like at least half of the writers in Argentina have, a, or even more, or even more are given literary workshops in their place. This means that, for example, in in my case, in the Mm -hmm. home, in my case, if you have seventy-seven years old and you want to, you are not, you are following a particular uh, writer that you like. It you can go there and literally knock his door and say, "I want to learn from you," and if he accepted you, (laughs) if he (laughs) accept you, then you can go there every week. So you write at home, but every, way, every week you go there with a, in a group of seven, eight people, and everybody, everyone would uh, read their work, and you would have feedback from your partners and from the master. <laughs> um, and sometimes you accept these feedbacks, sometimes you're not, but uh, I, um, I like it, this idea of... Uh, I don't know, I think that sometimes, um, in comparison with other uh, mm. arts, the writers, are we are a little bit like, uh, consider like genius. You have to, I'm, what I have want to mean, what I mean is like, if you are a dancer, if you, are a, if you play the piano, um, you're allowed to practice and maybe to, even to repeat uh, Bach once and another and another or to do a dance once and another. But if you are a writer, you can't copy anyone you know, you have to learn yeah. to by yourself. It's not possible to learn any. It's something that uh, you should, I don't know, become like a, to be born as a writer. And I like this idea of, no, 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 you have to learn and you have to go to school with many other writers and, and to try to understand how this uh, fiction thing uh, works. Yeah. I find it quite astonishing that, because writers are also
0: known to be much more private than uh, some of the other artists, like you do it in your house, that writers actually welcome uh, young people to
2: just come knock on their door. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's a good thing also, you know, to be uh, so young and also to, not only to, to learn with them, but also to go to their houses yeah. and to see their desk and how much mess they have around. And uh, maybe you can see, I don't know, the the trash full of paper because he was fighting the whole night uh, with his monsters. and. Um, the author, like someone that is a human being, full of problems. You know this this thing. It was, I think, it was a very good lesson from the beginning.
3: Mm. And also, you can choose. I mean, I, I, I have a different experience, but you can choose. If you don't like the master, you mm. go to another one. There's yeah. many.
0: Mm. There's fact, young,
3: old, whatever.
0: <laughs> and they will all open their house to you.
3: No, no, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> no. No,
3: no, no. But many li- have yeah. make a living of it. Yeah. You remember that this uh, this is a. Uh, very poor country mm. and uh writers don't have you know don't have amazing royalties or anything they have to it's work yes mm. yes yes and it's a nice work mm. but you never did this no <coughs> you became a journalist i'm awful huh you became a journalist
0: instead you studied journalism uh, no it right? was it was, yeah.
3: it was more complicated but I, I will try to make it short i was 17 i was reading a lot and i didn't find anything that was talking about my experience, meaning uh, living in the streets, doing drugs, sex, whatever. And I only found that in American writers like Easton Ellis, William Burroughs, Kathy Aker, etc. Then I learned that there were uh, Argentinian authors that were doing it, but I didn't have that much information. I lived in a, not small town, but not in Buenos Aires, that this is, uh, everything happens in Buenos Aires. So I wrote a novel by myself with, uh, you know, I liked uh, My Own Private Idaho, the movie, and I liked uh, Unrise with the vampires, and I liked uh, Bray Bradbury too, and I, I don't know, it was a mix of even, and Clive Barker with the Hellraiser, and I don't know. But it was very realistic. It was like dirty realism or something. <laughs> I had to me, it's a vampire novel, but anyway. And anyway, and... Um, Blah, 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 because it's long, and it ended in uh, publishers that needed a novel by a young person, but didn't have one. This is crazy things about the the (laughs) Argentina. They wanted to make a collection of books for young people, but they didn't have a young writer. So, me. (laughs) So, you were there. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, the editor of that novel was a writer that is an amazing writer that died last year very young he died at 60 something but early 60s and uh i remember he read the novel and he said to me something like um i think it's a good novel but it shows he said something like what your generation think is literature and i was like are you to tell me about my generation <laughs> I was you know my hair was like this I mean <laughs> and um, his name is, was uh, Juan Forn, and he was like had a very important collection of writers and he made the you know famous a whole generation of writers that are very good but I didn't know who he was or oh, how important he was and I was very you know i was off my face most of the time to be totally honest with you <laughs> so um and he realized that he was dealing with, with with a girl that was a bit you know um disrespectful to be honest and um and i don't mean it in a good way i was kind of but he found my you know he found the writer there mm behind all the <laughs> hair and, you know, the meanness and the not coming from Buenos Aires thing. And he started suggesting things and he started saying, this you have to write again because you can't do first person. You're too young and you don't have the language for this. And first person is difficult. And do this in the third person, I was like, I can not do it. Yes, you can. And he sent me, he bought me a computer because I, w- I wrote it in, a you know, in the old... <laughs> <laughs> in, in the old thing he managed to to give me money to to send me to to the beach he liked the beach a lot to uh, you know, read his suggestions and rewrite the whole novel so that's my workshop mm. with an editor with an old school editor mm. and then I think because of that it was always a conversation with one and then became a conversation with myself. I show my stuff when it's done. And then I, bec- I was studying journalism because I wanted to interview rock stars or be a rock star or whatever. <laughs> and uh, in It's that, fun. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. And I started to work in a paper because I published the novel. They said, this girl can write. I was 21 or 20. And they started to send in me to um, well do what you do. When you start that is the things that nobody wants to do. Mm. One of my first assignments was a truck full of cows fell near a Favela and the people started to killing them to eat. <sighs> to eat, yeah. And when I arrived I arrived at the end of it, but it was basically blood and shit mm. all over the place. It was <laughs> biblical. You know, the bad parts of the Bible. And, um, and I wrote a chronicle of this, and they were kind of impressed because it was my thing. And, um, and at some point, I had like a you know, moral crisis with this kind of thing, but it doesn't matter. And then I started doing arts and culture, and I've been doing that forever. But uh, in terms of collective writing, like, like she was uh, formed, like she's describing, I can't really do that. Mm. Because I get very insecure. People suggest me something, I think, yeah.
0: You don't seem very insecure, but. Uh...
3: N- uh, no, no, no. In real life, I'm <laughs> more, no, no, not really. But in writing, I can be. Mm. And when I have too many suggestions, they all make sense to me. And basically, mm. they confuse me and throw me to despair. Mm. So I prefer not to be there. (laughs)
0: Uh, When you travel and when Argentinian and Latin American literature travel, there's often talk of a new boom in Latin American literature and in Argentinian literature. And you are often grouped together uh, as writers who write in the fantastical genres, uh, that you are not realists, and that this is something that sets you apart, Mm. and that is also seen as uh, typical of Argentinian and Latin American literature Mm. more so than, for example, Scandinavian literature. Uh, How do you see yourself? Are you writing fantastical literature? And what is that, if it's anything?
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know. For me, it's it's very realistic what we are doing. Yeah. <laughs> this is, don't you have that feeling? It's, like yeah. a, 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 it's very hard for me <laughs> to understand these labels. Um, but uh, what is uh, important to, I think, to, to know, to understand, uh, particularly about uh, Argentinian literature or the literature that we write around uh, Rio de la Plata, yeah. is that... Um, it's not about what is fantastic. And with fantastic, I mean uh, the impossible to happen. But it's more about what is not usually happened, but could happen. You know, the uncanny. That's why, uh, for me, it's real this is real, this can happen. The the fact that it's not happening every day in in front of your eyes doesn't mean that it's not real. And and I think for us, um, to to write having the door always heart, a little bit open uh, at the possibility that this happens and this is real is very important. We We don't usually want to to jump completely to the fantastic Jim Brides. We want to talk about that monster, but we want to talk about him sitting here in the real life. You know, I, I can see it. I can feel it. It could be possible that he came here and can touch me. This feeling, I think, is very, I don't know. And, and also, um, I think um, I, I, I would love to um, to have your opinion, Mariana, but yeah. I, I think that. Uh, could it be, because I was thinking about how much uh, you talk about uh, Latin American uh, literature written by women and the horror. Mm-hmm. We know that you are the queen, but, <laughs> it's, but it's, no, no, I'm um, <laughs> not. You're wonderful. But I mean, but I think that it's a little bit in most of the thing that is being written right now. It is. It is. And I was thinking why it is. Um, why it is that suddenly the horror becomes something more acceptable, and uh, even though, why science fiction that was mm-hmm. always something that you couldn't find at the end of the bookshelf yeah. at uh, the bookshop uh, suddenly becomes <laughs> the to the book that uh, are the new books, and um, um, could it be that uh, maybe um, I think that uh, like um, modern culture these days tends to. I would say more, more like amputize. Is This Is it okay to say that? Amputize. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh-huh. The I don't know the the sublime maybe or the or the transcendent. Yes. The transcendent. Yes. No. We can't find this anywhere now. Everything is like su- very clever. Yeah. And very super superficial. Yeah. They don't want to go there. And there's no so many places we can where you can really touch the dark yeah and I think the uh, horror is one of the little spaces where people can do this and people need to do this yes because it's course. so healthy and, and we need this, this this moment where words are not helpful anymore and you really need to understand this even if you need to I don't know far away to do that I don't know how to explain that you, no. you, you, you need to transcend you yes. need to 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 um, to go to a place where um, where you you can't name what is happening and, Yes. Uh, because at that moment you are completely what happened in those kind of moments where completely horrified and is that you pay complete attention yeah and this is so you know complete attention is something that we don't have in this life and you are really like trying to understand what is happening. Yeah. And this moment is magic for me as a reader even. I'm always yeah. trying to to go to that place and in the modern le- literature I think this is a horror or or maybe things that are not literally horror but are touching these spaces yeah. are the the kind of novels and short stories that I like the most. Because they are still being brave enough to touch that point. Yeah, um, I understand.
3: There's something religious about it. Exactly. There's something sublime exactly. about it that we, we lost when we lost religion as something that became ironic in a way, or that is made fun of, mm-hmm. or it's
2: kind of crazy. Yes, and then so, you cancel all these things. Like, um, we don't and that, that, no, know. that's superstition. We don't know, want to know that, that
3: we are going to die. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't know <laughs> yes. to, what, mm. you, you, that we are. Uh, peop, uh, the beings that end mm. and I think horror gives you that it gives you the notion that you are a being that will end and that will be remembered that's why I love cemeteries too but also I think it's a generational mm-hmm. thing we we grew up I think with Bradbury with King, with Star Wars mm. with Twin Peaks with mm. all kinds of with a pop culture I, I guess
2: that um Yes, Uh, but with a pop culture that was connected with this. Exactly. This pop culture is not. The the connection has was lost completely. Yes. 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 And
3: uh, I've never. When I was little, I never thought that Ray Bradbury was for children. And when I I read Ray Bradbury as, as a as a woman. I kind of understood the melancholy in the yeah. stories that I didn't get when I was little, mm. and that's when I realized, no, this is absolutely for adults because this what he's, he's not writing about Mars, he's writing about the lost childhood mm. and uh, and the, and the loss of innocence and the loss of uh, mm. transcendence of, of that mm. sense of uh, you know of being m- marvelled at the world. Mm. So I think there is also something that is very problematic and it's related to what you were saying that kind of divides the human being into... you know, Imagination is good until you're 18 or 20, maybe. And then 21, you have to read the life of this woman that has a child and how she deals with a child every day and I want to die. (laughs) And it's like, no, please... (laughs) Please let's not be so prosaic. Mm. There is something. I mean, I like what Ursula Le Guin says about the realists of a bigger reality, and and how this uh, and how we are like uh, we touch a different kind of real that has the sinister, that has the uncanny, that has the sublime, that has all these kinds of things that are hidden in a culture now. Mm. And a culture is like uh, you know two people talking about. A table, mm. <laughs> and uh, I, I, need to, I, mean, I think it's very insulting for an adult that he has to read that and not. I don't know. Lord of the Rings There is a question mm. about can the uh, you know the people that are not powerful defeat evil, like you know. I mean, you, you like it. It doesn't matter if you like Lord of the Rings. It's what it's behind. It's much more transcendence, and it became a joke. Mm. And that things are not a joke anymore. And I think there's a new generation that grew up with that and didn't take it as a joke when, when they take it the first time. And also, there's, I think, a connection of many writers with their own cultures. I use pagan saints. Monica Ojeda uses uh, pagan stories of Ecuador and uh, and the Andes. Mm-hmm. And uh, family stories that are not the family stories of uh, this weird, like the, 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 the like, uh, seven empty houses, like, uh, you know, an eccentric mother and the child that has to stop her. The, 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 the relationship when a mother becomes a child, and when. And there's something there that it relates a lot when your parents are old and you have to take care of them. So it's not just about the eccentric relationship, but, you know, mm. also a filial thing that is very deep. Mm. So I I don't think that what we are doing is better. I think what we're doing comes from a sensibility that uh, has a lot of entries. There are cultural entries and and things that moves us, I think.
0: It seems to me that you are, in this way, you are similar, that you deal with uh, issues of social, political, psychological nature through forms that also use transcendence as, as a point of talking about these
2: things. Well, I think, uh, yeah. But... Uh most of the my favorite books are doing this. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, I think David Lynch has uh, used to say that uh, every piece of art has to do only one thing, saying constantly, "This war is very, very weird." Yeah. You know, <laughs> is, uh, if you are doing this, this is okay. And uh, I think uh, even the more realistic—that's uh, that's why I am so confused and uncomfortable with the term realistic. Yeah. literature because even the more realistic literature about a guy who is married and is getting divorced and smoke a lot and it's it's the story started with someone when someone knocked at the door and say i think there's someone dead at the backyard you know it's like uh, something weird happened and then the story starts uh, don't know why why that would be different than uh Why does this realistic novel, uh, realistic literature, and a mother and a daughter analyzing the gardens of others and taking things that they consider is not a good taste, Mm. is not realistic? Mm. I don't understand the the, the limit, you know? It's very um, um, uncomfortable, but, well, uh, labels are always uh, uncomfortable for us. (laughs)
3: Yes, (laughs) and also life is very... Things don't finish in life... You don't know why things happen. Things are very surprising. I mean, life is not very realistic.
2: Mm, Not these days. (laughs) Not these days. Not the last year,
3: no, no. And and the way we grew up, we we grew up in a part of the world that is not very realistic in general. (laughs) Well,
0: now that we've established that uh, life isn't particularly realistic, but that you write books that are realistic uh, in their way, Let's uh, take, take these books, go home and read them as real stories about life.
3: Yeah, well, some things, you know... (laughs)
0: <laughs> some things could still
3: be visual. <laughs> some, some, some things are weird yeah
0: <laughs> there's a lot more we could have t- spoken about but we've already been here for one hour and uh, 40 minutes so uh, I think we should just say thank you to uh, Mariana Enriquez and Samantha Sveblund well, thank Everyone you thank you and thank you